Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. portion of Pinchas. This Torah portion is really all about one subject, the change of guard and the passing of leadership from the old generation of leaders, from Moshe, Aaron, and Miriam, who took the Jewish people out of Egypt and led them through the desert to a new generation of leaders that will accompany the Jewish people into the land of Israel. And so today we're going to talk about the definitive qualities of Jewish leadership. What does it mean to be a Jewish leader? And we'll look at the examples of leadership that we have in this week's Torah portion to understand how every single one of us can embrace the inner leadership the way Judaism sees it. Before we go to Jewish leadership, I would actually like to quote a book, uh, a piece of research that was done over a period of 30 years by James Collins and brought down in his book, Good to Great, in which uh, James, with a large team of researchers, looked over 30 years what makes companies succeed, what factors make commercial companies succeed on the stock market? What happens that allows some companies to make much more money um, no matter which industry they're in? And he compared those companies that made a lot of money on the stock market against their competitors that made much, much less profit. And he looked at the factors that made these companies succeed, that made that we could then extrapolate to see to societies or to our families, our communities. What are the qualities that make organizations succeed? And the number one factor that he found to be the determining factor of successful companies is what he calls level five leadership. In other words, when you have a CEO, when you have a head of an organization who has this level five leadership, then the organization will succeed, and then the other things will fall into place. So what is this level five leadership? And the way James Collins defines it, it's a mixture of personal humility and unadmittable will. So on the one hand, the leader is extremely humble when it comes to his personality. He doesn't see himself as the center of attention doesn't care about his own personal interests. He puts other people first. He puts the success of the company, of the organization first. But on the other hand, he has this iron will to do whatever it takes to see the company succeed. And these two qualities seem to be um, counterintuitive. They don't seem to go well together. Because when we think of humility, we think of people who are not uh, strong. We don't think of people who have this 
decisiveness of people who are totally committed. We think of humble people as wishy-washy. Um, they're not really 100% in, and because they're humble, they will accept other people's views, and they're just not those strong alpha males and females who will go out and get it done. And on the other hand, when you think of somebody who has this iron will, we think of somebody who's arrogant and knows what he or she thinks, and they're totally, totally on the ball. So ironically, great leadership takes a mixture of these two things and brings these two seeming opposites together. On the one hand, personal humility, where I'm not egocentric, I'm not here for my own gain, I'm open to hearing other people, I understand other people, I'm open to other people, I put myself aside. And on the other hand, this ability to have iron will to see straight where you need to go and to get where you need to go. So these two qualities make for an ideal leader. And surprise, surprise, what are the qualities we're going to find in the Jewish leaders that led the Jewish people into the land of Israel? So this week, we're meeting three sets of leaders, actually two leaders at a set, who will take the reins over from Moshe, Aaron, and Miriam. And the first leader we meet in this week's Torah portion, we actually met him last Torah's Torah portion, last week's Torah portion, is Pinchas. Pinchas is the grandson of Aaron Kohen, but he does not get to be the Kohen. Why? Because when the priesthood was bestowed on Aaron and his family, it was only bestowed upon Aaron, his sons, and the grandsons who were born from that point on. But Pinchas was born before the priesthood was bestowed on Aaron and his family, and therefore he was not one of Kahanim. So just get into this mind space of a person whose entire family are priests. They're like the royalty of the Jewish people, and he is the only one left out. Why? Because he was born too early. Why is this fair? And actually, the kid who was born earlier, who is the older kid, should have more rights, right? Like, you know, if you have several siblings in a family, then the older sibling is um, supposed to be more respected. And here, Pinchas, who was born first, is actually left out. How is this fair? And when you think about this question, it actually parallels a different relationship, the relationship between Aaron and Moshe. Aaron was the older brother, and Aaron was the one who spent the entire lifehood with the Jewish people in their sorrows, in their slavery. Aaron was the leader. He was there with the Jews through thick and thin. And if you think of Moshe, the younger brother, Moshe spent his childhood in the royal palace. Yes, if you remember the story, he was put in a little ark by his mother, and he was found by the um, Egyptian princess, she brought him home, and she raised him as his child. And then he, when he grew up, he escaped to um, Midian to escape the um, Egyptian pharaoh. So really, Moshe spent very little time with the Jews, while Aaron was there through all of it. So then, at the burning bush, when God asks Moshe 
to assume the leadership of the Jewish people, Moshe says, no way, no how. He spends an entire week arguing with God why he cannot be the leader. And finally, God tells him, look, you're going to be the leader, and Aaron is coming out to greet you, and he's happy and glad in his heart that you're the leader. And this explains to us why Moshe was so vehemently opposed to becoming the leader. He said, I was never there. Aaron is my older brother. He has been the leader of the Jewish people through all of it. And then now I'm going to come and displace him. I'm going to be the leader and I'm going to take his place. Moshe had this humility and respect towards Aaron because he was the older brother and because he has been there until now. So now what we have is Aaron being displaced or being, becoming a second fiddle to Moshe. And a generation later, Pinchas, who is the older brother, is left out of the priesthood club. So how do you think Pinchas felt? Probably he might have felt bitter or another person in his place would have felt bitter and um, life is so unfair. And also our sages tell us that the other Jews would tell him, you know, who are you? Who do you think you are? Your mother comes from a family of idol worshipers. And here you go and kill a priest from the tribe of Shimon, because this is what Pinchas did in the previous Torah portion. So who do you think you are? And if Pinchas was a, a less of a person, then he could have spent his whole life with this feeling of bitterness. But instead, Pinchas puts all of this aside. He is not in that place. He is in a place of total commitment to what does God want. He is called a zealot. A zealot is somebody who is completely committed to God's will. And when he sees something that does not align with God's will, he it just hurts him. He can't stand it. So in last week's Torah portion, when Zibri ben Salu, um, a, pria, a prince of the family of Shimon, goes off with this Midianite princess and actually brings this princess to Moshe and says, no, Moshe, can I marry this Midianite woman? Can I be intimate with her? And he's doing this to, um, to embarrass Moshe. Then Pinhas jumps in and says, Moshe, don't you remember the halacha that you taught us that when somebody goes off with a non-Jewish woman, then zealots can get involved? And Moshe forgot about it. And he said, you know, you remember the halacha, you go do it. So Pinhas is a person who's completely committed to God. He has this iron will and he's not letting his personal feeling, his ego, get in the way at all. He's not concerned about his own honor. He's not dealing with the fact that he's left out. He has no feeling of inferiority. He just goes and does what Moshe tells him to do, the halacha that he remembered that has to be followed. And so God gives him the Brit Shalom, the priesthood. And while Elazar, the son of Aaron, was the next high priest after Aaron to lead the Jewish people into the land of Israel. Actually, Pinchas becomes the high priest after him, and he is the high priest of the Jewish people for hundreds of years afterwards throughout the book of Shemot, the book of Judges.
and Pinchas's um, follower is Eliyahu Hanavi. It is said that Eliyahu is the Gilgal, the reincarnation of Pinchas. And as you know, Eliyahu Hanavi is the person who is going to um, come together with Mashiach. He is the Hanavi, the prophet that visits every single Brit Milah in the Jewish people. He is this um, personality that's basically going with the Jewish people through all of the tribulations. He's here with us all the time. He visits different people, right? Eliyahu Hanavi is this guide that goes with the Jewish people from his time until Mashiach. He will come with Mashiach to to um, solve all the questions that we have. He is the person who is going to be the precursor of the Messi Messianic era. And, and this is it. This is the indomitable will, the total commitment to the goal that Pinhas started in last week's Parsha and that Eliyahu continued that will be with us until the end of time. So this is really level five leadership that we find in the Torah. Now, the second person to find his replacement in this Torah portion is obviously Moshe. Before Moshe passes away, God tells him that there's one more mission that he has to accomplish together with the Jews. He has to take revenge against the Midianites. But God tells Moshe, you go, get this job done, have this war with the Midianites, and then you will die. So he understands that as soon as the job is done, his life is over. What you would expect anybody else is to take your time. If somebody knows that there is one more thing they need to do and then they're going to die, that person would take their time with that mission. But that's not Moshe. Moshe jumps up and does it right away. He doesn't wait. He doesn't take his time. He is not interested. He's not focused on his own personal good. He is 100% committed to the good of the Jewish people. And therefore, he and the Jews have that war immediately. And then another thing that Moshe does before he passes away is to ensure that the Jewish people have proper leadership. So actually, Moshe doesn't wait for God to give the Jewish people the next leader. He goes on his own volition and asks God to give the Jewish people another leader. And God says, uh, we'll give you somebody. Moshe asks for a person who has the spirit inside of him. A person with a spirit. What does the spirit mean? And there are a couple of explanations and actually the fit this model of level five leadership perfectly. Rashi says that a person with a spirit is a person who can deal with any other person. They can deal with different personalities. So that would actually fit the humble aspect. When you are not self-focused, when your ego is not the central point of your life, then you can be there to hear other people, to understand what other people need to recognize the needs of other people and be there with them. So Yoshua has that quality. On the other hand, there's a different explanation to the spirit, and that is that you are not influenced and affected by your environment. You have iron will 
you have goals and you are single-minded in reaching those goals. And it's so interesting, how do those, those two things work together? How on the one hand you can be there to recognize the needs of other people, to hear other people out, to have uh, the emotional intelligence to uh, help other people and be with them and, and feel them and see them, but on the other hand, at the same time, also have that iron will and complete determination and still good mindedness to reach your goals. And this is what ex exactly what Yeshua has, this unique combination of these two qualities. On the one hand, he's there with the Jews, he sees them and hears them and understands them. But on the other hand, none of that gets in the way of reaching the goal of bringing the Jewish people into the land of Israel, which is the number one goal for which he was chosen as the leader. And here's another important point. Moshe really wanted for his children to continue him, just like Aaron's children continued him. But God says, no, I have other plans. And so what would you expect somebody to do when they want their children to take over, but God says, no, you have to choose Yeshua instead. There would be that place of bitterness once again, like a sting in the heart. Maybe Moshe wouldn't be 100% committed to giving Yeshua. I mean, obviously this is Moshe, so for sure he would give the um, leadership over to Yeshua, but you would expect there'll be like something he would hold back because uh, after all, he wanted his kids to continue him, and this is not happening. And the Torah says, no, Moshe gave everything over to Yeshua. He didn't hold back, and in fact, he gave more than God said. God said, place your hand on Yeshua and give over from your leadership, from your glory. And Moshe doesn't put one hand on Yeshua. He puts two hands on Yeshua. So he goes above and beyond what God wants. Once God decides that Yeshua is the next leader, despite the fact that this is not what Moshe wanted, this was not his vision, and despite the fact that his kids are left by the wayside, once that's God's decision, Moshe is 100% on board. Not 100% on board, but 200% on board. And he gives over to Yeshua Everything he can give him with two hands, take it. Because once again, it's not about his personal wishes or ego. Yes, we're all parents, and as parents, we want to see our children succeed. And Moshe has this human place. It's really beautiful how our sages and our commentators make our leaders human. Moshe wasn't a robot. He was a father. He had those feelings for his kids. He wanted to see his kids succeed, but there was a very clear demarcation between his personal wishes, his family, what was good for his kids, and what was the right thing for the Jewish people. And when he understood that God wanted Yeshua to be the leader of the Jewish people, when God found Yeshua to be the most perfect leader for the Jews, then Moshe was 200% on board. He didn't feel any pain. He didn't keep anything for himself. He didn't act as if he had no choice. He was totally in and he gave over everything that he had. So now we are brought to the 
third leader, or actually leaders, that took over for Miriam. The Jewish people always, always, always had this female leadership that went with us through the ages and brought in aspects of leadership that male leadership cannot have. So Miriam was one of the three leaders that took the Jews out of Egypt. And she also finds her replacement, although she had passed away earlier, in the Swiss tour portion. What is Miriam's primary goal in life? Miriam's primary goal in life is continuity. The continuity of the Jewish people, making sure that there's always that next generation. She is the one who sticks around with baby Moshe to see that he is okay. She doesn't let him go. The mother puts him in an ark and puts him in the Nile and leaves. But Miriam sticks around to see what's happening with him to make sure that he is okay because she is completely committed to ensuring that there is continuity and there is the next generation and there's always going to be a Jewish people. And she is actually the one who proactively makes sure that Batya, the daughter of Pharaoh, takes Moshe and then brings him back to his mother to be brought up. And then in the desert, she is the one who brings joy to the Jewish women. She is the one on the sea who tells Jewish women to let's go and dance and sing and celebrate because we need the celebration to have the force of life. The Jewish women take their uh, their timbals, their musical instruments with them into the desert because they know they will celebrate. So it's the celebration, the happiness of life that you have to have to be able to carry on and pass it on to the next generation. There's a beautiful story about Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, who was the great American rabbi in the previous century. And he was asked, why did so many Jews leave religion? And especially, why did so many Jews stop keeping Shabbat Shabbos? And the question was very strong because when the Jews started coming to the United States in the beginning of the 20th century, the end of 19th century, um, America had a six-day work week. That meant that every single place worked on Shabbat. And many observant Jews would not go to work on Shabbat, and that meant they have nowhere to go to work on Monday. A Jew who would keep Shabbat would change a place of work every single week. And many, many Jews really um, took their lives into their own hands and continued keeping Shabbat despite the fact that they had to switch employers every single week. It was a real act of commitment, of courage, of devotion. So the question was, how is it possible that these Jews worked so hard and were so devoted and committed to keeping Shabbat and their kids left religion? How is this possible? How is it possible that the kids did not continue the heritage of their parents? And Rabbi Moshe Feinstein answered, is because, just think about the kid, every single week, what he sees before Shabbat is his father coming home and telling the mother, oh, 
this employer fired me and it's so hard to be a Jew. It's so hard to be a Jew. Like I'm killing myself for Shabbos. I'm killing myself for Shabbat. We don't know what we're going to eat next week. It is so hard to be a Jew. So yes, these people, they had total commitment and devotion and they wouldn't break Shabbat, but they, the feeling, the environment was, it is so hard to be a Jew. And when kids heard this week in and week out, when they grew up, they said, why do I need this? Why do I need this difficulty? It is so hard to be a Jew. Who wants to be a Jew? But Miriam, whose name, Miriam, comes from the word bitterness. She saw the bitterness of Egypt. She saw how hard it was in Egypt. She saw how hard it was to be a Jew. She believed with 100% commitment that although it was so hard to be a Jew in Egypt, there will be a great end and there will be celebration. And she actually took the musical instruments out of Egypt, in, which meant that in Egypt they had musical instruments. Right? It was so hard to be a Jew, but even in Egypt they had musical instruments because even in Egypt they celebrated. And this, they took those musical instruments with them because they knew that they're going to continue celebrating in the desert on their way to the land of Israel. And it is this happiness, this celebration of our Judaism, this continuation, because you only want to continue and give over to the next generation what you know is good and beautiful and sweet. You don't want to pass misery to the next generation. And the whole point of Miriam's leadership is to ensure that there is a next generation and one after it and one after it and one after it and you want to pass great, amazing things to that next generation. So in this week's Torah portion, you have five women, the daughters of Tzlafchad, who are the next generation of female leadership. And what's their story? The five daughters of Tzlafchad, their father passed away in the desert, and he didn't leave a son. And what that meant is when the Jewish people would go into the land of Israel, their family would not get a portion of the land. So there is no transmission from the generation of their father to the next generation. It's as if this family is left out and they're not getting a portion in the land of Israel. And they weren't concerned about real estate. They were concerned about the passing on of the torch from the generation of their father into the future and ensuring the survival of their family. So they came to Moshe and said, Moshe, one of the two, if we as daughters are not considered to be children, then our mother should have this ceremony called the Yibum. She should marry one of the brothers of our father and have a son and their then son can get his portion in the land of Israel. And if we as daughters are children, then give us this portion. Daughters should also get the portion of the fathers. And Moshe wasn't sure. He didn't know what the law is. So he asked God and God said, they are right. It is one of the few places in the Torah when God says, this person is right. They're correct. They're seeing things. And Rashi says something beautiful. The daughters of Tzlavchad saw things that Moshe did not see. How is this possible? The greatest prophet of all times who spoke to God directly 
he also had a blind spot and there was somebody there who saw better than him. Now, people like talking about patriarchy and how Judaism is patriarchal, but here the Rashi tells us that the women, right, who are supposedly, you know, if we take this patriarchal uh, outlook, who are supposedly a second class, and then they see better than Moshe does, and Torah says no such thing. It doesn't matter if a person is a male or female, everybody gets access to a connection with God and gets to see things based on who they are. We don't believe in patriarchy. We don't believe that men are better than women. We believe that every single person stands at their own merit and gets a connection with God, gets to see God, to see godliness, to bring godliness into the work based on what they do, who they are, and not based on their gender or social status or anything like that. So the daughters of um, Slavchad have this great wisdom, number one, to wait for the right moment. Slavchad had passed years earlier, and that question of who is going to inherit his portion must have bothered the daughters of Slavchad for many, many years, actually decades. So why didn't they bring this question to Moshe earlier? Because it wasn't relevant. It wasn't relevant for anybody else. Yes, this question really bothered them, but it did not come up on the grand scale of things. Only when the Jews are about to go into the land of Israel, the daughters of Tzavchat come and say, this is the time to solve this question. So have this intelligence to wait for the right moment. And just think, the five of them, and the five of them agreed among themselves to have this strategy. Just think of five sisters and they're all on the same page to get the outcome that they want. How much humility does it take for five people to get on the same page to decide on a strategy? And we don't know which one thought what because it wasn't about ego. It wasn't about me. It was all about how do we ensure that we reach the goal that we want, that our family gets an inheritance in the land of Israel because we love the land of Israel. So they were 100% committed, and they were so committed that put all of the personal considerations aside. First of all, amongst the five of them, they were all in it together and all on board together. And secondly, they had the right strategy of how to approach Moshe. They didn't come asking for themselves. They came for the greater good because the greater good is to ensure that every family survives. And so they had two options and they asked the question the right way. And we know that they came from the right motivations because God tells us so. So this is what female leadership is in Judaism. Number one, ensuring that we pass the torch to the next generation. It's actually the most important thing. As we keep saying on this show, Judaism is not a religion of the synagogue. Judaism is a religion of the home because all of Judaism is focused on passing our heritage 
from one generation to another generation to another generation, ensuring Jewish continuity, not just physically, but spiritually and intellectually and emotionally, ensuring that we take this beautiful, gorgeous, amazing heritage called Torah that we love so much and we pass it on to our kids with the same fervor, the same happiness, the same love and enchantment that our kids are just as in love with the Torah as we are, that they celebrate its beauty, that they connect to it emotionally. It's not just ensuring that we have the kids, it's ensuring that they follow in our footsteps. And that was the goal of Miriam. And that was also the goal of Notzlavchad. And to ensure that passing from generation to generation, to ensure this goal that was so central and so vital, without it, everything else just makes no sense and is unnecessary and falls by the wayside. Um, to ensure that this mission continues into the land of Israel, Notzlavchad took the leadership over from Miriam. And it is mind-blowing in this week's Torah portion that actually, while men were not as committed to the land of Israel, and they kept talking about going back to Egypt, going back to Egypt, going back to Egypt, women were always focused on going to the land of Israel. And this is why, while the men died out in the desert, and none of the men went into the land of Israel from the previous generation, besides Yeshua and Kalev, the women did go into the land of Israel, they did not die in the desert, and all of the women of that generation merited to go into the land of Israel. So with this, I would like to ask you, where do you find this level five leadership inside of you? Where do you find that you have total commitment and devotion, total focus on something that's important to you, a goal that you're willing to reach and for, to that end, you're willing to make the necessary sacrifices on the one hand, but on the other hand, it's not about you. It's about doing the right thing. And you're open to hearing other people and you're open to putting your ego aside. How can you take this level five Jewish leadership and apply it in your life to make the world a better place? So with that, I would like to sign off and wish you all an amazing week. May we all find the inner Pinchas, the inner Yeshua, and the inner blood Slavchat in our life. Where can you get the inside news on Israel? At Israel News Talk Radio, we're dedicated to sharing Israel's inside story with the world by providing our listeners with news on Israeli politics, current affairs, and Israeli Jewish culture. The Israel News Talk Radio homepage also provides you, the listener, with useful information at your fingertips with scrolling news headlines, weather, currency exchange, Shabbat candlelighting times, and so much more. Our radio programming is always accessible and on demand. We operate absolutely free of charge for everyone, everywhere. 
If you love what we do, partner with us now by becoming an Israel News Talk Radio supporter. With your support, you'll be inscribed on our Israel News Talk Radio Wall of Fame. There's nothing like us in the world. Be part of something great. Israel News Talk Radio, straight talk from Israel. Howdy, this is Rita from League City, Texas, now living in Israel. And though my heart may have belonged to Texas, it now belongs to Israel and all the fantastic show hosts at Israel News Talk Radio. Hi, this is Michael Solomon from Kiryat Arba, Israel. And why do I love listening to Israel News Talk Radio? Because I love listening to the interesting interviews they do and their news reporting that most other media sources don't cover. Hey, this is Nicole Eko from Malmo, Sweden. It gets pretty cold here in Sweden, so I love cuddling up with a warm cup of tea while I listen to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, everybody, this is Frank Carr from Tennessee. Me and my dog Buster really love listening to Israel News Talk Radio. <laughs> You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. opinion and more you're listening to israel news talk radio 